Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is Keen on Democracy. A chill is enveloping the world. Everywhere I go these days, the conversation is the same. Everyone is fearful about the fate of democracy in our digital age. The same worried question is on all of our lips. What or who is killing democracy? Everybody wants to know. There's certainly no lack of suspects. Trump, Putin's trolls, Mark Zuckerberg, authoritarian populism, the wall, Victor Urban, fake news, Brexit, Bolsonaro, surveillance capitalism, Erdogan, Twitter, or last but certainly not least, the president of the People's Republic of China, Xi Jinping. So what's up with democracy these days? Is it really dying? Or is it simply shedding its industrial analog skin and updating itself for our networked digital age? That's the subject of this podcast series. This is a show featuring conversations about the most important issue of our age with some of the world's most incisive thinkers. I hope it both provokes and enlightens. Uh, David Edgerton, who is um, professor of history at King's College London, a distinguished historian, author of many books, his latest book, The Rise and Fall of the British Nation. But the book which I was introduced to your work was The Shock of the Old, which was a book about how history in many ways, especially when it comes to technological change, um, is repeating itself. Uh, David, before we talk about Brexit and the nature of 21st century capitalism, which you have some very original um, analysis on, um, as a historian, what do you make of our early 21st century technological and economic predicament in global terms? Easy question to begin. Well, it's a, it's a new one, um, climate change. Uh, but one difficulty we have is that the way we discuss technology, at least for the last hundred years, has been much the same. So we tell each other a story of, of revolutions of radical transformation uh, we tell each other actually historical stories that's to say we compare what is supposedly happening now with what we think happened in the first industrial revolution so we're always looking back for for models of what technological change will will bring in the present and and, and, and future i think that's mistaken actually i think we i think we need to have a a much stronger sense of of accumulation over time and also that things change very radically um and indeed i think the main lesson from from history well two lessons from history i suppose one is that um things change very unexpectedly and to that extent we historians are experts on the future we know that about it which is perhaps the most important thing to know about uh, the future and the other is that that we invent our our, our histories um, uh, we invent them and, and reinvent them, and they are a critical part of our understanding of what the future might bring. And we need to be very careful about the kind of stories that we tell. So then are you taking a kind of anti-historian or anti-historical argument and suggesting that what we're living through today, particularly with, when it comes to climate change, has happened, has never happened before in history? It's not an anti-historical argument, it's a primarily historical argument, that's to say, uh, things do change over over times. Things don't repeat themselves, uh, and that the most important lesson we can learn from history is precisely that: the things that things change. Uh, 
uh, and often change uh, change radically. But it's not just climate change, is it, that defines the early part of the 21st century when it comes to the relationship between technological change and capitalism and economics? I'm I'm sure that's that, that's right. There are clearly many other aspects, but if you if you're asking me what is the most important new element, I think climate change has got to be it. How does climate change then connect with your arguments about global capitalism and Brexit? Um, well, I, I suppose it does in as much as um, the lack of discussion of, of climate change at serious level by the British government uh, contrasts very radically with its um, uh, its very particular economic policy of Brexit, which is built on a complete fantasy about the nature of British capitalism. So it's it's as if we cannot talk about what's really happening to the material constitution of our world, but we can go on and on and on about fantasy visions of, uh, of, of what an economy can do in, uh, uh, in the 21st century. So, so we're perfectly prepared to talk about Brexit and what can and can't happen there, but we're nowhere near as engaged with the issue of, of, uh, of climate change, which will doubtless be much more significant than Brexit. Have we ever been more honest, though, about these narratives? Uh, are you suggesting that we're particularly dishonest in the early part of the 21st century? Haven't we always wanted to tell our own stories that suit our agendas, our ideologies, our interests? Yes, of course, that's absolutely right. But the great difference is that there was a, uh, a, a public sphere that was more respectful of expertise, uh, of honest engagement, uh, than than we have in the in in the present. So so yes, I fully accept that that, uh, that we've always uh, lived with uh, dishonesty, with uh, with uh, with uh, ideology, with uh, with with exaggeration. But uh, that's not to say that things haven't got worse. I think they I think they have, uh, especially when we see leaders of of, uh, of nations prepare to to lie outright knowingly lie outright i don't think that was true of most uh, european leaders let's say for most of the 20th century are you suggesting then that the the, the brexit debate and and, and brexit like debates are driven by this reaction this histor this hostility towards expertise no, I don't think that's that's the case. Um, I, I think the um, the Brexiteers have themselves become critical of expertise in the context of a debate about about Brexit. Uh, I think the origins of, of of Brexit aren't to be found in a in a critique of uh, of expertise. They're to be found amongst a very particular group of of men. Um, who 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 believe in radical Thatcherism and see even the very liberal European Union as an impediment uh, to that to that program. Uh, they they have, however, developed a, a very very strong uh, uh, um, uh, position uh, in defence of of, uh, of of Brexit, which denies the significance of uh, of the critical commentaries that are nearly universal amongst uh, amongst experts. As a historian, what do you make of this? populist hostility and it's not just in brexit in 
that you certainly find it with Trump and many yeah. other populist leaders around the world, this yeah. hostility towards experts like yourself, to academics, to journalists, to uh, scientists. Yeah. I mean, I don't like the, the, the word uh, uh, populism uh, here. Which word would I you think, prefer? I think what we have is, is a very particular kind of elite politics which mobilizes uh, their base uh, not the population as a whole, their base in very particular ways. And uh, uh, part of that has been the discrediting of, uh, of, of, of experts who are, who, are, who are seen as being on uh, another side uh, uh, politically. Um, is, it, is it dangerous? Well, of course it is. Um, uh, is, it, is it deliberate? Yes, of course it is. We've seen this before in history, though, haven't we? Many times. We have seen it at certain moments in, in, in history, the Cultural Revolution in, in, in China, uh, some phases of the, but only some phases of the, uh, of the Russian uh, Revolution. Um, in Cambodia in the nineteen in the nineteen in the nineteen seventies, um, and of course to some extent in some ways in in the uh, in the Nazi period as well, but um, uh, I think it's new in British politics, uh, and I think it's new in U.S. politics. Is the anger today the early twenty first century? You may not like the word populist anger, but the the anger amongst large segments of the population is that new? Yeah. I think no, clearly it isn't. Not it isn't new, but um, uh, uh, I, again, I I I don't think Brexit or Trump are driven by anger amongst large sections of the population. I mean, Brexit and Trump are fundamentally the, um, the product of the powerful, and they've mobilised parties of the right, not um, not the the. The poorer voters of the of the left. So Trump is basically mobilised the Republican base, not the, not the not the worker Democratic base. Uh, similarly, Brexit is very largely a question of mobilisation of the Conservative Party, well-off Conservative Party members. Now, uh, of course, there is great unhappiness um, uh, in the in in many parts of the United States and many parts of the of the UK. After all, in the UK, we've had uh, for the last uh, decade stagnation in, in, in wages, the cutback of public services. In the United States, we've had stagnation of working class wages for much longer. I mean, many, many decades, of course, uh, people are uh, upset. Of course, people are, are despairing. Um, but it'd be quite wrong to see the, the product of that despair as either Brexit or Trumpism. There's a very particular narrative that's been that's been spun. But you don't see Brexit in particular as the conspiracy of a small group of currency traders to profit massively from public policy, do you? No, I don't. I think that's a, that's a silly position. But but I do think that uh, that Brexit represents a, a very particular uh, group of, of of people, a very particular group of Conservative Party MPs, and a very particular group of British financiers, a very particular group of, um, uh, of 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 people who have some interest in the in the British economy. Brexit is not the policy of capitalism as it operates in in Britain. It's not the policy of the British elite uh, as as a whole either. Uh, it's been a remarkable phenomenon that, that uh, a particular a group of people without going through a large established political party have changed the direction of policy in a very uh, in a very radical way and managed to get more than half of the population to to vote 
to vote for it. Although what the population were voting for was not actually Brexit. The, 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 the voters were concerned with essentially with developments within the United Kingdom that were never the responsibility of the European Union. Name some names, David, in, in terms of these people pushing this thing through. Well, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, are they it's politicians? No are they financiers? Some, some are politicians, and some are financiers. I mean, there are there are there are people like Sir James Radcliffe, who's a great supporter of of, uh, of Brexit. Sir James Dyson is a great supporter of of uh, of, of Brexit. Um, uh, Lord Bamford is a great supporter of, 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 of Brexit. Financiers like Crispin Odie support support Brexit. Um, uh, it's uh, it, it, as I say, it's a, it's a minority of uh, of uh, capitalist interests in the in the United Kingdom. And and what some of these people have in common is that their main economic interests are not, in fact, in the UK. Um, I mean, Brexit is uh, a policy of radical deregulation of the of the british uh, uh, economy what does that mean it means unilateral free trade uh, which has certain advantages and it's a traditional british position it allows food and raw materials and manufacturers to come in for nothing so british people would would be better off with cheaper food and cheaper clothes and cheaper shoes the difficulty is that it would destroy the British farming industry, it would destroy much of British uh, manufacturing. Uh, but that might be worth doing in the eyes of the Brexiteers because you could have um, uh, uh, a, a financial services industry of greater strength. Um, essentially what they mean is that the United Kingdom will become even more of a tax haven than it, than it currently is. So this is the, the Singapore on the Thames. It is Singapore Fantasy. on Thames. It's called that, but I think that's a misleading um, uh, term. Uh, it's more the Cayman Islands on 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 Thames, um, because after all, Singapore is is a great uh, trading centre, trading centre of things, uh, um, as well as a manufacturing centre, uh, and that's not what the Brexiteers have in mind for the United Kingdom. Is it any coincidence that Brexit is is happening at a time of sort of radically globalized technologies, particularly in terms of communications? No, but uh, again, we've got to be very careful. I think in many ways, Brexit is, in terms of the voters, is a nationalist reaction against globalization. Uh, the paradox is that the Brexiteers themselves are radical globalizers. Yeah. Uh, so there's a massive disconnect uh, 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 how have they managed to get away with it? Because you're not the first person to observe that. No, absolutely not. They've got away with it because they have essentially done something uh, very brilliant, which is to deflect uh, a potential anti-London politics onto Brussels. As we sit here in the middle of London, uh, at King's College on the Thames. Yes, that's right. So uh, I think there is there would have been a possibility of a serious anti-London politics and anti-London finance politics and anti-London control politics and anti-London imposing austerity politics. But instead, we've had an anti-Brussels politics. But to be fair also in terms of your argument, there are many wealthy capitalists of one kind or another who are very aggressive Remainers. Oh, without question. I mean, that's precisely my point. The most most capitalism in the United Kingdom is uh, is is Remainer, and and we can see that very clearly in the um, 
in the positions taken by the Confederation of British Industry, and indeed in the great organs of opinion of uh, of capitalism. That's to say, the Financial Times and the and the Economist are clearly anti. So, so the difference is is that the. You could have a, a Singapore on the Thames and remain within the EU. Your Cayman on the Thames requires them to, to get out and to become this kind of what currency tax haven. Exactly. I mean, I, I think I think the the the, um, the 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 great global capitalists are very happy with the United Kingdom being in the EU. Indeed, that is precisely the, the the objection to the EU that comes from from the left. Though that's not a, not not a, a, a strongly developed uh, uh, argument in in this in this current uh, current context. Hasn't London, though, already in many ways become a kind of Cayman on the Thames, full of Russian oligarchs and other other dictators from around the world who use it as a way of laundering their their ill ill-gotten wealth. Well, that's right. That's why I said that the, 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 the Brexit policy was to make the UK even more of a tax haven. Uh, it it, uh, it it already it already is and and exactly and it's it's uh, it's fascinating in this in this context to to note that there are very strong suspicions that uh, uh, dark Russian money is behind Aaron Banks. Uh, one of the great uh, funders of uh, of the of the Brexit um, UKIP party and then the Brexit party. What happens to British industry if Brexit happens, especially on Tory terms, on radical Tory terms? It's um, it's essentially destroyed. Um, you mean fishing uh, uh, and mining and steel manufacture, which already. On, on on pretty shaky grounds anyway yes uh, uh, I mean fishing uh, we we will as it were take back control of, uh, of British coastal uh, waters but uh, we don't take back control of markets and the major market for British fish is the European Union and there'll be a uh, a tariff which will essentially um, keep British fish out of that out of that market uh, if we think about um, British sheep, uh, uh, half of output goes to the European uh, Union. Um, a hard Brexit will mean the slaughtering of half the British flock. And indeed, probably more than that, because the British government is, in the hard Brexit, um, not going to impose any import uh, import tariffs. So in fact, foreign lamb will flood into the, in, into the country, destroying much of the other half of the, of the market for, for British lamb. And if we take the case of industry, it's important there to note that that uh, 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 much of industry which operates in the United Kingdom is not British owned. Uh, the car industry is a classic example. Most of it's uh, Japanese, German, uh, French owned. What's going to happen there is that um, since the industry is so radically interconnected to the to the European Union, which is its major export market, in in any case, it will essentially be allowed to decay. Um, uh, there is no long-term future for the for the car industry in the United Kingdom under Brexit. Do, under a hard Brexit. What do you make of David Goodhart's argument, who's also been on this show about the world really now being divided into anywheres and somewheres, and that's what drives everything, and not every, and especially when it comes to the the somewheres, not all their agendas are driven by entirely rational self-interest. I mean, I think I think there's there's, uh, there's there's something there's something in it, but it 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 can't be uh, taken that people are only 
one or one or the other. You know, we 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 are we are all mixed up about about these these things. Uh, but I think one of the, the the really big differences actually is between the old and the and the young. Mm. Uh, and I think uh, the, the 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 young are much more nowhere if you like, than the uh, than the than the than the old to use this terminology for the for for the moment. But the great the great change in British politics over the last um, uh, decade, two decades, is that the Conservative Party vote is now an old vote, and the Labour Party vote is a a, a young vote. The Brexit vote is an old vote. The Remain vote is a is a young vote. Why is that? Are, are old people more romantic, angrier, more irrational? I two reasons. I think one is that uh, old people aren't engaged in the in the labour market, and I think are, are less less aware of the realities of the British economy of uh, of today. So more ignorant. More ignorant. I I I will I'm not say words that into term your mouth. <laughs> because there is a standard story that 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 points to. Uh, the lack of education of Remain voters. That is deeply misleading because the key point about Remain voters is they're old. And in uh, for people you know over over sixty, and I'm 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 sixty, the likelihood of of uh, of having um, uh, education up to eighteen, much less education up to twenty one or or twenty mm. twenty five, is much much lower. Yeah, so so it's simply the case the young uh, are much more educated than the than the than the old. It doesn't make the old um, less in, less intelligent or more aware of uh, of politics. Now, what I mean to say is, is 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 simply that if if you are in work, you know you are aware of uh, who your employers are, you know what kind of business has been done and and uh, and who with. So that's one reason. Another reason is that the old um, were formed in another world, were formed in a very national Britain where uh, we were surrounded by uh, white people, where we uh, drove British cars and we flew in British aeroplanes and our tables, our chairs, our carpets, our clothes were British made. That world has, has gone. And um, what what the Brexiteers have managed to do is to kind of mobilize that national sentiment. Um, uh, I mean, a genuine sentiment uh, uh, um, uh, 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 against uh, Brussels rather than where it should be directed, which is against, against London and the Conservative Party and indeed the New Labour Party as well. I don't mean the Labour Party today, I mean the New Labour of, uh, of Tony Blair. David, we're talking in London on November 5th. I think this will be broadcast later this week, uh, certainly before the election. Um, I guess I'm asking you for a prediction on the election, but not who's going to win. Really more about the, 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 the Brexit sentiment that you're describing of the old. Are these people, the, the, the old working class or the lower middle class, the people who are, in your, in your view at least, going to be most badly affected by Brexit, are they really going to fall for this? Are they going to vote for the Tories on, on December the 12th? Uh, some are, uh, but remember, um, large sections of the working class and indeed the, the middle class, um, lower middle class have always voted Tory. There's nothing new in this. Uh, uh, the Tory party was hegemonic in the 1930s because it, it had uh, half the working class vote, uh, similarly in the, 19, in the 1950s. So the, the idea that this is the first time that conservatives have, have got a working class vote is, is, is simply, simply wrong. 
So um, we need to, but we need to remember then that in the context of Brexit, the the main Brexit vote comes from um, wealthy Tory old people. But they weren't. But, but but the Tories won't win the election on that. For them to win the election, they're going to have to win uh, what fifty Labour seats in the Midlands and the North. Absolutely. And they made they made some inroads in 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 2017, but I I don't I don't see um, the, the 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 Tory Party doing anywhere near as well as they did under Theresa May in 20 in 2017, where there may be a little bit more danger for for, for Labour um, in working class constituencies is, is um, uh, uh, that some of those uh, working class Labour votes might go to the to the Brexit Party. David, you've been very surgical in your critique of conservatism, particularly Brexit conservatism. You've said nothing, though, about the left. You've said nothing about the Labour Party. You're clearly, maybe not a a radical leftist, but you're on the left of the political spectrum, at least judging from this conversation. Um, How much does the hijacking, and maybe you disagree with this analysis, the hijacking of the Labour Party by Jeremy Corbyn and his small group of ex-Trotskyites, how much responsibility do they have for this crisis? I mean, I don't accept your characterization of what's happened to the Labour Party for one minute. Good. Uh, Why? It, well, what's your analysis? Uh, um, what we've had a, a, an extraordinary transformation in the in the, in the Labour Party, a, a a a party that was in a in a very bad way. Suddenly, through this extraordinary accident of Jeremy Corbyn standing for the leadership, acquired a vast new membership, new energy, um, new policies, uh, policies actually which are which are very popular. Um, now, there's been an extraordinary reaction from the right of the Labour Party, many of the the MPs and the press against uh, Jeremy uh, Jeremy Corbyn and um, and his position in the. In the in the Labour Party, that's not new in the history of the British uh, left. Uh, um, uh, the, uh, the the press has generally been deeply hostile to the to the to the to the, to the Labour Party, especially when it has a, a radical, uh, well, a moderately radical program as, as Jeremy uh, Jeremy Corbyn has. I'm uh, I'm very happy to see a radicalized Labour Party um, uh, in a in a relatively strong uh, position. I think Labour's policies will be very uh, popular, and frankly, we need a very radical change. We we can't continue, I think, in in the in the way that we that we have with a with a stagnant economy, with austerity in 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 many of our in many of our public services, uh, and profound indifference. Uh, uh, from much of the, the political class to the to the fate of the majority of the British people. Wearing your histor- historian's cap, would you agree that Corbyn's position is relatively um, backward-looking in the sense that he wants to recreate a Britain of the of the sixties or seventies or eighties, or is there something new about Corbynism which can Act as a model for a, a reinvented uh, progressivism in the globalized twenty first century. Yes, I mean there are some elements of, of of return to the to to a past. I mean the slogan "Rebuilding Britain." I mean evokes the nineteen forties and uh, as well as the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies. And Corbyn himself is a, is a figure of the nineteen seventies and early eighties. 
um, a Brexiteer, actually, at, at that time. I mean, he says now that he um, he voted uh, Remain, and there's absolutely no reason to to disbelieve him uh, about that. But he does come from from a, a left Brexit uh, uh, tradition. On on your on your broader point, I think um, uh, 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 there are some uh, very new things. Um, I think the the endorsement of the Green New Deal is uh, is novel. Uh, I think the concern with uh, an alternative foreign policy is novel. I think it's high what time. What is the alternative? You mean uh, well, for example, uh, um, uh, not selling arms to Saudi Arabia. In fact, uh, discontinuing mm. the relation with Saudi Saudi Arabia. I think that's very important. Uh, I think it's quite correct, and we really need to open up a, a debate about uh, about those sorts of issues of, of foreign foreign policy. High time. High time. What about and, a, and actually, I'm putting it in the context of, of, of Europe. I mean, many of the social democratic parties of, 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 of Europe are in a state of, uh, of crisis. The great exceptions are the British Labour Party and the, 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 the Spanish and Portuguese uh, uh, social democratic parties. So something is afoot. Um, what about the role of new technology in the, 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 the recreation of a more progressive agenda in the in the network globalized world the role of technologies like ai and blockchain do, do you see um a way to, to to reinvent the welfare state using more efficient technologies which can circumvent the old state well possibly but but i think um, technology is not the issue here I think uh, we could we could reinvent and probably should reinvent the, the welfare state with old uh, with old technologies. Um, we we have the capacity at the moment to do lots and lots of different things. It's uh, it's one of the great great misleading ideas that we are limited by the technology that we have and things can only change with new technologies. Absolute nonsense. For example, we could make a great dent in, in, in the problem of climate change by um, using smaller engined cars. We don't need electric cars to massively reduce CO2 emissions from, from transport. Small cars will do it. Um, and the role of China as a as an alternative model for kind of twenty first century capitalism without democracy. How do you in make sense of that within this broader argument? Well, I mean, capitalism and democracy have not necessarily gone together. Um, uh, why? Why? What should one expect them to to go together? I and mean, they they have in very particular historical um, uh, moments. Now, the Chinese case is is, is absolutely uh, uh, extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, China accounts for half the output of uh, some of the major materials of, of the world. What what China does affects the world economy immediately. It's. Uh, it is in a in a in at least a stronger position as the United States was in the middle of the twentieth twentieth century. So, are you really saying that to save democracy, we need a more equitable economic arrangement? To save democracy, yes, we need we need greater equality, fundamentally. And finally, finally, David, to start this because it's obviously a huge challenge. Where do we begin? One thing that can start the ball rolling in terms of, 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 of reinventing 21st century capitalism to make it fairer, more equitable. I, I <laughs> Social democratic politics. Mm -hmm.